Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity. How are you doing this morning? morning. It's good to see everybody. I've been gone for uh, a few Sundays. You may have noticed through through the summertime, I got back from a funeral this last week, and we'll be talking about that a little bit in a sec, but... um, it's good to see everybody. I just want to share something that's kind of on my heart real quick before we get talking. Um, I felt this in the first service, and I feel like it's time to release it now. Uh, there is a shift that is not happening, but has happened in our house. God has, has, has breathed in us, and we're taking another step. Uh, not in a different direction, into, but a step into becoming more of what God created us to be. And that's exciting. Let me tell you why it's exciting, because as churches... The closer we get to God's heart, the more he trusts you with the greatest treasure that he possesses. Do you know the greatest treasure that God possesses? you know who that is? That's you. That's me. That's human. Humankind. I believe that God is always looking for people, for vessels that he can trust his heart with. So I just really sense in my heart this this next season that we are walking into, I feel like the door is right in front of us, that we're entering into right now, God is going to pour out some incredible things in our midst and in our congregation and in our family. Be ready. Receive with open arms what God's doing. You see, all that starts with you. How many of you know that, you know, when we pray, it can't be, Lord, help those other people. I'm fine, but help them. You know, it's about us. God, if he can get a hold of your heart first, then all those other things take care of themselves. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be taken care of. Some of you are so worried about other people's lawns, you need to look at your own grass. Right? But I'm not here to talk about that today. So I just want to pray that over us real quick. Father, we're, we're ready to receive this, the next season. We're ready to walk through the door. Help us as a church, Lord God, to receive all those things with open arms. And help us, Lord God, as people to receive everything you have for us in your name. Everybody said, amen. amen. It's good to be back with you. Like I mentioned earlier, I was at a funeral last weekend. Tyler did a great job in my stead. Um, you know, funerals, how many of you know funerals are not timely? Death is not timely. It just happens. Even when you use somebody and they've been sick for a long time, you never know when God finally says, now. I've sat with people that are supposed to die for weeks. I've also been called by families that lost people instantly and, you know, with too much life ahead of them. So I got a call uh, last week where one of my good friends, Bill Dean, had passed away. I've known Bill for about 20-some years. This is a a bunch of the guys that we had. Our friendship formed over a a home group we had in our church in, in Illinois. We had all these young families raising kids. We were all having babies. We had no idea what we were doing. So, you know, when you don't know what you're doing, you ask other people that also don't know what they're doing. For insight and for wisdom, and then we got this stuff. So I got to meet Bill through this stuff, and Bill was one of the only single guys in our group. Eventually, he got married, and it was a joyous occasion. And I remember one night as we were in our home group, one of our guys, Pete, says, you know what we should do? He said, men, we're built for adventure. He said, we need to go out on a quest. We need to have a great adventure. And as he started talking about this stuff, you know, my juices started flowing. I said, I would love an adventure. How many of you doesn't like an adventure? So you know what we did? We started planning that night. My buddy Pete says, you know what? Back when I was 18 years old, we conquered the Smoky Mountains. I bet you we could do that. So we started to plan to do this incredible hike, four days in the Smoky Mountains. And I'm not talking about your KOA truck camping. I'm talking about everything on your back, 
your food, your tent, everything. Into the wild you go, and then with God's grace, out of the wild you live. So we planned. We didn't know what to do. We had no idea what we were doing. Got on eBay. I found the biggest backpack I could find, the cheapest backpack I could find, and I stuffed it with so much stuff. My pack was 70 pounds because this is how Greeks operate. You know, I can be killed by a lion in the wild. I could fall off a cliff, but one thing will not happen to me. I will not starve. I, that's not how I'm going out. I'm sorry. I remember, we, so we hiked into the Smoky Mountains. There were eight of us. We hiked in a 12-man tent. We ran to the first hiker group. And they're like, are you guys nuts? We called it the, the tent of meeting. It was great. And we all did this. My buddy Bill did this, and we started up on our hike. And it was about a day and a half into our hike when Bill kind of came up and he says, he goes, I- I'm struggling. I got some problems here. I said, Bill, what's going on? He says, I can't, I can't explain it. I feel pressure in my chest. I feel all this stuff. And, uh, and I'm like, well, this, this isn't good. Now, this is, we're, we're way off the beaten path. There's no cell phones up here. We're just, we're about, you know, almost two miles into this hike. And I'm like, what do we do? And one of our guys who was our little guide guy says, well, if we get up to here, there's a shelter up here. I think we might be able to get a hold of somebody and figure something out to get Bill out of here. So we had to make a plan initially. So Bill's there. He's not knowing what's going on. And so we took all the stuff off his pack. So we all packed differently. You know, I packed, I had enough sense to pack things that you had to add water to so that the weight of my food wasn't that much so I could take more food. Bill didn't do that. Bill packed 14 cans of chunky soup. Imagine 14 cans of chunky soup. Each can of chunky soup's a pound and a half. 14 cans of chunky soup. So he separated all of his 14 cans. I'm going to be honest with you. You know what I did with his cans that they gave me? I threw them into the weeds. They're probably still there because <laughs> I ain't carrying that kind of weight. And we divided up all the stuff, and we started up on the mountain. And we, we would take turns walking with Bill, getting him where he was going. And, you know, Bill would always say, you know, oh, yeah, I don't think I'm going to make it. He said, Bill, you're going to make it. Everything's going to be fine. Bill had to make it because I didn't want to drag Bill off the mountain. You know what I'm talking about? There's a few times, like, I think I see Jesus. I was like, do not go to the light, not just yet. Let us get you off the mountain before we go to the light. We got Bill off the mountain, and Bill got to the doctor. We found out that Bill had an enlarged heart. Didn't know that. So he went to the doctor, they got medicine, they fixed all the stuff in him. And Bill was, you know, he went on all of the other adventure trips. We got him off the mountain and everything was great. And I'm convinced to this day, um, if we wouldn't have functioned the way that we did to get Bill off the mountain, I don't know if Bill would have ever gotten off the mountain. If we would have left Bill to carry all of his stuff on his own, probably the weight of just his chunky noodle soup alone would have killed him. They would have found him underneath a, a, a thing of cans. How many of you know that every once in a while we have to carry the load for each other? Right? So not only did we carry the load for each other, not only did we, did we take all the stuff off, but we started to realize in that moment which parts of our group were good with things. We had one guy that was trained to be kind of like a, like a quasi-paramedic, so he had some ideas for some stuff. We had one guy that was a great guide, and he had the map out, and he says, well, if we do this, we can cut off time here. We can get him down the, mount, down the mountain quicker. There's the easier trains over here. All of us put our pieces into the, into the table, into the, into the, onto the table, and we got Bill off alive. Something powerful happens when we work together rather than separately. It happened for us on that mountain, and I believe that that's also a perfect picture of the church. Did you know this? God created you not just to need him, but he created us to need each other. He created you to be dependent, not independent. Now, this is a challenge for us sometimes, especially here in the United States. Because we have this thing, it's a beautiful thing. We have our own personal relationships with God. Right? How many of you, it was described, you have your, just you and Jesus and then everything else. Now, to a degree, that's true. 
But sometimes what we do is we leave our relationship with God and our, our ability to walk out our faith just between he and I. And God never designed the church to function that way. He, desi- he, you know, he designed us to need each other. He designed the church to work in, in collaboration, not separately. So what does that look like practically for us as churches? In a time and in a world where everything is so independent and self-focused, what is collaboration and interdependence look like for the church today? If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I believe this simply. I believe that the Bible is the inspired and errant word of God. I also believe that when you follow what the Bible tells you, things work. I know. I can't tell you how many times people come to my office. Pastor, everything's falling apart. We're going to die. We're going to die. Well, are you, are you following biblical principles? No. My money's all over the I can't do it. Do you tie? No. You know, everybody hates me. Do you love people? No, I hate them. Hello? When you follow biblical principles, with those biblical principles comes biblical blessings. Now, churches, how many of you believe the church is the hope of the world? God designed the church to do the work of ministry. If the church is so important, wouldn't you think that God would leave the church a blueprint on how she's supposed to function? Or you think God's like, yeah, just kind of keep it loosey-goosey. How many of you, <laughs> how many men do we have in here you've ever built something and you've actually used the directions? How many of you like to use the force? Use the directions. It'll be a lot quicker and your wife won't be as mad. Okay. Ephesians 4.11, I believe, is a blueprint for how churches are supposed to be built. It says this, these, or now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, let me stop right there. This is a, a passage that, that sometimes people struggle with because they don't, they don't just read it for what it is. I've heard people read this and say, well, the apostles, those are the original apostles. The prophets, those are all the Old Testament prophets. And then, you know, you have the, the, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These are the gifts that he gave the church. The Old Testament prophets, he gave those to the church that wasn't even around until till here. Because that makes sense, right? He didn't say prophetic words. He didn't say the words of the prophets. What did he say? The prophets. The function of being a prophet. It says this. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ, which tells us this is a current function of current people. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I just, it's crazy. The Bible's pretty simple if you just read it for what it is. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith. How many of you would consider the, the church, the Big C Church, unified? We have 30,000 denominations in the United States of America alone. Why? Because my way is the best. Now, don't get, don't get me wrong. I think I'm absolutely delightful and very smart. But I know this. I don't see all things. How many of you know unity is a big deal when it comes to the church? We struggle with unity not just denominationally, but even inside the bodies we struggle with unity. Don't we? This will continue until we all come to such unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full. Everybody say full and complete. Say complete. Standard of Christ. When will you be full and complete? 
completely sanctified when it comes when it comes to your faith. When will that happen? When you die. Until that time, you're a work in progress, baby. All of us are. All of us are. So what is this passage telling us? This is the framework that God put to lay down in front of the church, how we're supposed to function, until he comes back and takes his seat at the throne and leads us. In the meantime, we, we, we lead together, collectively, with the Holy Spirit and Christ as the center, bringing us along. So when you look at the early church, we see clearly this function. We see the fivefold ministry gifts at work. All of the gifts working together. Now, two weeks ago, we gave you a quick little breakdown of the gifts. Again, these are the five in case you were sleeping. First, you have the apostolic gift. What do they do? They cause things to grow. They move things forward. They break new ground. You have the prophetic gift. What do they do? They guide. They listen for God's voice. They feel things. And they, they hear God's voice and they bring them to the body. Then you have the evangelistical gift. What do they do? They go. They're worried about everybody on the outside of the church. I have you know, evangelistic people. Pastor, the world's dying. What are we going to do? I'm like, I'm trying to get to them as fast as I can. Because they're right, aren't they? And then you have the pastoral gift. What do they do? They gather their innies. You know, they're the ones that sit in a circle and go, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. The evangelists and the pastors, you know, those ones that have those gifts, they drive each other nuts. Because the pastors are thinking, well, we've got to take care of the inside. And the evangelists, we've got to take care of the outside. Well, who's right? They're both right. The church is designed to live in tension, something that we hate. Then you have the teacher gift. What do they do? They ground. They keep us solid. They dig down into the earth. They're the opposite gift of the prophet. If you're prophetic, you feel. You expand. You want to move in the spirit. If you're a teacher, you're grounded. And a teacher without the prophetic gift creates cold, rigid religion. That's dead. You follow all the rules. You check every box, baby. Some of you grew up in a place like that, didn't you? What do the prophets do? Well, if you're prophetic, well, I feel God's leading me out. You know, God lift me up where I belong. And they're like balloons without a string, and they just float away. Those that are prophetic need grounding of the teacher, and those that are teacher need the life that the Spirit brings. You need both. All of these gifts are supposed to operate. So today we look at the apostolic gift. Is it still around? What does it look like when it functions inside the church? So when you hear that word, apostle or apostolic, what do you think of? You think of the original 12 and then you had Paul as an add-on? Kind of like the Beatles, they had Greg Best as a drummer, then they ditched him, they got Ringo. He's kind of like, you know, Paul's like the Ringo of the apostles, right? We upgraded, he's better. Is that what you think when you think of the word apostle? Now when you think of that word, that apostolic gift, God used this gift, this apostolic gift, to establish the church. When the church started, he used this, this incredible group to establish what we're still celebrating today. And you ready for this? That gift still does establish. God still uses that gift to establish his kingdom beyond. Are you ready for this? If you just look at the word, the word answers so much of our questions. Do you know how many apostles were mentioned in the New Testament? Ready for this? 25. Google it. Test it. Google it. Don't just take my word for it. Google it. And to save you from, from Googling, let me give you the list of the, the 25 people that were mentioned as apostles in the New Testament alone. First, Jesus Christ was mentioned as the, the, the chief apostle in Hebrews 3.1. 
I think this might be in your notes too, so you should have all this stuff too. Simon Peter was an apostle. Andrew was an apostle. James, the son of Zebedee, was an apostle. John was an apostle. Philip was an apostle. Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus, was an apostle. Thaddeus was an apostle. Simon the Zealot was an apostle. Jesus Iscariot was not a great apostle, but he was an apostle, right? Matthias, who was there to, re- how, you remember how they replaced Judas? They drew lots. Come on, baby, right? Pretty close to that, Jerry? Paul was an apostle. Barnabas is mentioned as an apostle. Andronicus is mentioned as an apostle. Junius was mentioned as an apostle. Now, what's interesting about Junius is that she was a girl. Let me keep rolling. Everybody's like, Pastor, what you talking about, Pastor? I'm just, it's just a text. It's just a text. James, the Lord's brother, was an apostle. Silas was an apostle. Timothy was an apostle. These are guys mentioned as apostles. Ephroditus was an apostle. Apollos was an apostle. And then we have two other apostles that were with other guys that were unnamed. The people in the group knew who they were. Even if you take those two away, there were 23. So now we see that the apostles are more than just 12. They were more than just an exclusive group. Is it possible that these remarkable people were more than a group? They were filled and they operated because they had the function of the apostolic. I'm a, I'm a history nerd. So when you read the history of the early church, you see how these remarkable people, these men, all gave their lives to change the world, to establish things. Think about this. We are still following things that they established over 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. I think they established things pretty well. Jesus, when he left, he said, guys, you got this. In fact, not only do you have this, greater things will you do. And here we are today. So if, this is, if the apostles were more than the 12, if we still have this gift, what does this apostolic gift look like in the church today? Again, the apostolic gift, the core of that gift is to what? They establish things, they grow, they do these things. So again, they expand the kingdom. So when we look at this apostolic thing, I think I want to hit three things real quick. And by the way, why are we talking about all these gifts? Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about all five of the gifts. Why? Because if, if you don't know what other people's gifts are, you don't know where your gift fits. You're a piece of the puzzle, but you're not the whole puzzle. Now, the challenge is this. We see all these things in the church through our lens. So we don't know why. If you're a teacher, you don't see everything through the lens of teaching. We don't understand why if, you're, you know, if you've got this, this pastoral gift that everybody doesn't see everything through the lens of being pastoral. You see where you fit together. For example, when you have somebody's got a pastoral gift, somebody's an evangelistical gift. You know, if they work independently, they'll go so far. But if they could see the beauty and the strength in each other's gift, when you couple those two, they can go ten times further than they ever could by themselves. Does that make sense? The evangelists say they go get them and they hand them right to the, to the pastors that make them feel loved and help them to bind and heal their wounds. Then you give them to a teacher, they get grounded, and then you fill them with the power of the Spirit. They change the world. It's not about us. It's about what God's doing through us. So what do they do? The first thing that apostles do, those who are apostolic that have the gift, is they establish things. When I went to school at Southeastern University like 450,000 years ago, one of the things that they told us in school is that that apostolic gift is now something that our missionaries do. We would send missionaries over to like, you know, to Africa and to South America and to Europe and to China and all these places, and those missionaries would take the gospel to places the gospel's never been heard before. 
And they would establish churches there. And they would establish new, new movements in these areas. And they're still doing those things. That is a function of the apostolic gift. And it's beautiful. You see, those that have that gift, they have the ability to bring these new things of the kingdom into our time and into our space. They bring vision. They bring possibilities. But that gift is not relegated to going to another country. How many of you know we need people that gift here? Our world is growing darker and darker. Our nation is growing darker and darker. What a better time for the light to shine. So you know what we got to do? Oh, here we go. I'm going to say it. Everybody say, Pastor TJ. We love you because Jesus said we really had to. <laughs> what would happen if we spent less time arguing and more time shining? Aren't you designed to shine? We are the light in the midst of darkness. We're a city on a hill. Shine. People can't argue when you shine and you do God's heart. They can't. If we could just do that verse that was behind, you know, in that video, if we could walk humbly, show mercy. I mean, if we just could do stuff like that, the world wouldn't argue. They'd say, ah, they follow by example. It's more than this. It's this. We are created for this, not this. That makes sense? So how does this apostolic give? What does it look like in a church? Um, I remember when Robin and I, we first started out. By the way, we both are apostolic. We have this gift. It's a building gift. We didn't know that starting out. We just knew that, that where we would go, we could kind of, um, we could see things at a level and see what was kind of out of kilter. Or we would, you know, go to a place and people would say, oh, man, we don't know what to do. And God would put things in our heart to say, well, if you can establish this, this will create this and this will impact this way. Now, you can't take a class for that. It's just something that's inside of you. I didn't have a language for it. I went to the Greek, you know, I grew up in the Greek Orthodox Church. We didn't talk about this stuff there. We talked about the Greek Food Festival and, and Telly Savalas for Kojak. Did you guys see Kojak last night? He's great. That's all we talked about. Most of the world doesn't have language for this because we figured out things on our own. And that's working out so much better, right? We got this all figured out. It's not better. So we could see things that, that, that needed to be adjusted, that needed to be tweaked, and things that we would need to establish. Now, understand this. When it comes to the church, tweaking things and, and doing things to bring health to the body is not the same gift as, uh, as, as bringing fault and finding out all the bad things of the church. Seeing all the things that stink in a church is not a spiritual gift. And if it's that's your spiritual gift, if that's yours, please don't share it with anybody. Because we don't need that. The question is this. It's not seeing where everything's broken. The question is seeing, Lord, what do things need to happen in order for things to be healthy? Hello? How many of you go to the doctor and you're like, I got this cough, and they look at you and they said, yeah, you're broken. Uh, that's $75. We'll see you next week. You want the solution. You want to be healthy. The church is built the same way. Seeing stuff just as broken doesn't help it at all. I remember um, when I, you know, I've told you guys a story before when I had to go in for my back surgery. Before my back surgery, I was just losing the ability to walk, didn't know what to do, so I go to the doctor. And I said, my back's hurting me, I can't stand. And the first thing they did is they sent me to physical therapy. How many of you ever had the same thing? They said, you're going to go and you're going to stretch and do things that's going to, and hopefully it'll strengthen the core muscles. They looked at me and they said, obviously you have no core muscle. And I'm like, well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. So they made me do physical therapy, which exasperated the problem. Then I came back and I said, it didn't work. She said, you know what we're going to do now? We're going to give you shots. How many of you have had shots in your back and stuff like that? This is nuts. 
They put me on a table. They took a needle about this long, give or take a foot, and they say, you need to stay perfectly still because we're injecting this next to your spinal cord. And if we screw this up, you could be paralyzed. So I'm on the table going, don't blink, you know, and it hurts, and I'm thinking, don't pass gas. <laughs> and they inject this stuff in there, and you're like, ah! Didn't work. So then I go back to the doctor. This process is now probably nine months to a year. And they say, you know what? Now we're going to take pictures and look at your back. So they do an MRI on my back. And they discover this. You don't have a disc. It's gone. Between these. So physical therapy and needles aren't going to help you. And I'm like, why didn't you take the picture first? But you know what? Isn't that what we do? Instead of figuring out what's wrong, we just throw stuff against the wall until it works. Now, thank God we don't do that in church all the time. We do that in church all the time. So you figure out what's wrong. So it's not enough for you just to see it. But we have to correct those things. That's part of what that gift does. It sees the heart of the Father. and helps to bring and establish the heart of the Father to the kingdom here on the earth. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth that it is in heaven. Have you ever thought, how does God do that? You know how he does that? Through you. Through me. We're conduits of the kingdom to the planet. If you don't do it, all that stuff just stays there. He's waiting on us. He's waiting for us. So I remember as we were kind of getting into ministry, Rob and I are young. I think we're 21. You know, I get to school, and they're like, okay, you're 21. You know, you've got... You know, you're going into your third year of school. Now we're going to start to put you in practical ministry. So they sent us to a church in Plant City, Florida. And we had to relieve a guy that was, he was a youth pastor there of nine, uh, uh, for nine months. Steve, great dude. So he walked in. He goes, okay, here's the, here's, the, here's the deal. You got a youth group of five kids. You have two brothers and then a brother and two sisters. He says, of the five, two are good, three are just jerks. I said, great, oh man of faith. He says, all you got to do is bide your time for about nine months. They'll come and they'll give you relief. He says, you can suck it up for nine months. Everything will be fine. See ya. And he left. So Rob and I, we inherit these five kids. And I remember thinking, you know, in my first encounter, I've never done this before. You know, I wouldn't trust myself with goldfish, but people are giving me their children. So, hey, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's see where it goes. And I remember going in there. And the first day we're there, we meet these kids. We do like a little ice cream social. And the whole time I'm, I'm there, we're there, I just, my, my heart is flooded with possibility and destiny of what God could do with this little group of kids. Now, we're in a church of 70. So we prayed. We saw the Lord. We didn't see the limitations of where the kids were. We saw where they could be. We started to shift the culture, the mindset of the kids. We pursued the Spirit. We started to actually teach the Bible. We started to do worship. We established a new culture, and this crazy thing happened. The healthier we got, the more we began to grow. By the time we left there, a year and a half later, when they moved us to another place, we had over 50 kids that were meeting every week in a church of 70. You see the possibilities. You don't see just all of the limitations. And Rob and I have taken that pattern of ministry everywhere we've gone for like 30 years. We've applied it to every assignment that, that God's had for us. But as we've grown older, we understand this. Part of that's with our gift. It's just our gift. The apostolic gift does that. They establish things. So now, you know, for our, for our movement, for our network, you know, even coming to you guys. I remember getting a call from our, our district superintendent. 
Don was like, that gift that you have is exactly what the church needs right now here in Hocasa. Now, it's interesting to me that he saw the gift and he matched the gift with the church because he recognized what the gifts are. It's important to do that. The apostolic gift, it, it establishes things. It's a foundational gift that every church needs. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Here are some of the parts of God uh, uh, that God has appointed for the church. He says, first, apostles. Now, some people get nervous with that because they're like, oh, the apostles are first. It's like being first in line at the buffet. He didn't say first as in like, you know, in charge. First as in foundational. If you want to build this, you start with somebody that can establish apostolic vision. That's the foundation. Does that make sense? What's the second gift? Second are prophets. Why? What do prophets do? If you're prophetic, you hear God's voice. It's one thing to establish the foundation. It's another thing for God to tell you the next step. Where are we going now, Lord? What's the third gift? They're teachers. What do teachers do? They ground you. God's saying to go here, we're building a plan to get you there, baby. This is how the church is supposed to be designed to be built. But where do we usually start? Teachers and pastors. What do pastors do? Keep everything closed. What do teachers do? Don't you dare get out of line. Doesn't that sound like our church today? Hello? Then you got evangelists on the fringe. And then the other two have gone away. Am I, am I saying anything that's wrong? Hello, are you with me? And then look at this. Those who do miracles, those who have to get the healing, those who can help others, those who have to get the leadership, and those who speak in unknown languages. Notice, all those come after the teacher. Why? Teacher's ground. When you have those gifts and there's no grounding, they could turn into anything. It's all connected. Isn't it kind of cool? It's almost like God knew what he was doing. Isn't that nuts? God gives us the instructions. What do we do with instructions? We look at them when things get bad and we can't figure out why we've got 12 extra parts. And then what do we usually do? I gotta take this leg off. I gotta, this is upside down. I gotta. We look at the instructions. What if we just read the instructions first? Again, my marriage would be so much better if I would just read the instructions. That's another story. Ephesians 2.18 puts it this way. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Foundational. Those with the apostolic gift, they establish things. They help things to be healthy. Why? Healthy things grow. The goal is to be healthy. Healthy things grow. Helps to bring God's heart, the kingdom, into our space. This is why we need a gift. Now, anytime you bring something into existence that wasn't anywhere else at all, how many of you know that you are usually given this beautiful gift of naysayers? People that tell you all the reasons why things can't be done. These are usually people that have never done anything. Right? So what do you do? I mean, all of us have naysayers, even people that we celebrate now. For example, Thomas Edison's teachers said this, he was too stupid to learn anything. Go teachers. Don't ever speak that over a child. He was fired from his first two jobs for being non-productive. As an inventor, Edison made 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. When a reporter asked him, how did it feel to fail a thousand times, 
By the way, how many people, you have people in your life that, that are really good at showing you your failures? Right? Do me, if, if they're not family, family, you're kind of stuck with them. But if you have people in your life that tell you all the ways that you stink all the time, find new friends. Find people that will lift you up, not tear you down. So, you know, again, when the reporter asked him, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? Edison replied, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. Even his assistant complained, all of our work is in vain. We've learned nothing. And Edison replied very confidently, oh, we've come a long way and we've learned a lot. We now know that there are 2,000 elements which cannot be used to make a good light bulb. Edison ended up having over a thousand patents for his inventions. And we're still talking about him today. You'll have naysayers. Expect it. Some of you have given up on your dreams and things that God put in your heart because of the voice of the naysayers. Be careful which voice you lock on to. Be careful. My prayer is this. Today that we would ask God to restore those dreams and that gift that you have. Listen to God. Flow in your gift. By the way, the apostolic gift is just not for people inside the church. We have people that operate in the apostolic gift outside of the church. Some in business. Do you know anybody that starts new business? They start new entrepreneurial things. They have new ideas, new things. That's part of the gift in operation. This is going to blow your mind. Do you know that God can move in business just like he can move in a church? He can. The Bible says there are two or three or more gathered in his name. He's there in the midst. He can establish things out there too. For some of you, you have the apostolic gift. And again, God uses all of our gifts together to fuel the kingdom and to do what he wants to do. This isn't just a churchy thing. This is an us thing, a life thing. Regardless of where God places you, God needs that gift. Flow in that gift. So the apostolic gift, it establishes. Another thing the apostolic gift does is it executes things. The apostolic gift gets things done. Have you ever noticed that, you know, anytime you're discussing a problem or something like that, everybody's got an opinion, but very few people have a solution. And very few people can pull things off to fix things. If you don't know what this looks or sounds like, just enter a political discussion with anybody. Everybody's got an idea. I don't want ideas, I want solutions. The apostolic gift helps to engage solutions. It moves the needle. They're able not just to hear things that are going on, but they can hear God's voice and put into motion what God wants to do. They help to execute plans. Our churches have to move beyond just hearing. We have to move into the, the phase of execution. We have to do something. We just can't complain on how bad everything is. Be part of the solution. Create a plan, listen to the Lord, and execute a plan. Do something. Acts 16 gives us a little window into how the early church worked with this. It says this. Then they went from town to town instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. They were talking about things that were happening and inviting the Gentiles and all these things that were happening. They said, guys, you know, apparently God's doing this new thing now, so we're going to release now how the church is supposed to operate in this. So you go to that church, and you go to that church, and, you, and let's get this thing done. What is that execution? We're just going to get it done. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew larger every day. What does the apostolic gift do? It expands, like your waistline at Thanksgiving. A lot of churches hold services on Sunday 
but they fail to execute the mission. What is our mission? Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of churches have that written on, the, on their doorposts, and they have pictures, and they have signs, and flags, and banners up. But a lot of churches, we have that stuff, but we just don't execute the mission. Why? There's a few reasons for that. One, we, we've lost sight of the mission. Our mission was never to hunker down and to stay as clean as possible from all the dirty people. Never was that found in our mission. Our mission was never to hunker down, get off to the side, and stay as isolated from the world as possible. God didn't save us to put you on a shelf as a trophy. He saved you and equipped you and empowered you to save the world. Go. That's our mission. Why? Because that's Jesus' mission. And he gave us the keys to the family business. He said, I'm going. Now you're in charge. Have fun storming the castle. Good luck. <laughs> Listen to this. This is one of my most favorite passages of Scripture. This, this is 2 Corinthians. And if it doesn't like fill you with like, oh my gosh. I don't know what would move the needle in your heart. It says this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Now listen to this. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now did you hear that? There was one person on the planet that could point at people and say, this is your sin, this is your sin. What was his main task? Not to call everybody's sins out, but to bring them back to God. Verse 20, so we're Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ and we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we can be made right with God through Christ. That's the core mission. Come back to God. To God, not you stink, you stink, you're going to hell, you stink, you stink, you're kind of stinky, you're definitely stinky. What do we normally do? God created us to be thermostats, not thermometers. Anybody can tell the temperature of a dark world. This is bad. I understand that. What do thermostats do? They change the environment. God's called us to change the environment. We don't change the environment by, by coming and, and telling everybody all the things that they already know about themselves. We change it by reconciling them back to God. God loves you. Come home. You can't do that. We can't reconcile people to God if all of us are one huddled little group in the church and we're already reconciled to God. What do we do? Woo-ha, woo-ha, but there's nothing happening there. We got to go into all the world and make this I've heard that before. Where have I heard that? Read the instructions. We don't need to make up new stuff. Read the instructions. Don't lose sight of the mission. So sometimes we lose sight of the mission and we don't execute the plan. The second is sometimes our focus is wrong. We become self-focused. When we're self-focused, the church becomes an entity that's here to meet our needs rather than something that we pour our lives into to see others come to the kingdom. The church doesn't just serve us, beloved. We serve the church. We serve the kingdom. 
When we become self-focused, we don't see others and their needs. We just see ourselves. Now, Pastor, I love this church, but if the carpet was just a different color. I love this church, you know, Pastor, but, you know, if we can get three-ply toilet paper instead of the two-ply, that would be phenomenal. Now, I like three-ply just as well as the other person. But understand this, that we're just coming from a wrong, a wrong direction. I, uh, so going to Chicago to this funeral, I'm on Frontier because it's cheap, and the flight's canceled. So I don't care how much money you're going to save. If you can't get on a plane, you're not saving any money at all. So then I rebook on American, thank the Lord. And then as I'm coming back out, there's lightning storms in Chicago, and they cancel my flight there. So I got canceled going out, canceled coming back. That, so I wanted to get back. I had staff meeting, all kind of stuff going on. So I, I fly back early. I got to be at the airport in Chicago at 3 a.m. I board at 4.40. The baby in front of me started crying at 4.43. And she cried until 7 when we landed. And it wasn't like a, <laughs> it was a, <laughs> for two hours. And, and, and mom and dad, you know, I come from a different generation, so I'm going to say that. And mom and dad are going, no, 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 don't cry, sweetie, don't cry. Don't cry. No, no, you can't have this yet. It's not time for you to have your little nookie. You can't have it. And I'm like, give the girl her nookie. At that point, I don't care what it is. It could be a lollipop. It could be sugar. I don't, give it to her! Now, we have, we have to get, keep things regimented. Not when there's like 300 other people on the plane, you don't do that. Why do babies cry? Well, they, they, they need. They're self-focused. They need. And they don't have words to be able to express their need. So they cry. Because they, they can't say, Mom, give me the nookie! They cry. And then we have to figure out what the cry means. Right? Babies cry. We have to do less crying and more understanding where we fit. The Bible says this. It says this in Isaiah. It says, if you take care of those that are in need, those that are poor, those that are broken, all of your needs will be taken care of. If you put them first, he'll take care of all your stuff. It says, I love the phrase, it says, your darkness, the dark parts of your life, the things that you wrestle with will be like the noonday sun. He'll illuminate everything and give you the best of everything. Again, taking care of needs, finding those things and executing the plan. So you guys know, I don't know if you know this or not, being Greek, hospitality is close to my heart. So that means this, when you come to church, it's more than just like, you know, you can have coffee for $4 a cup. We don't, we don't do that. We give you, how many of you had a goodie today here at, at the little cafe thing and coffee and all this stuff? Well, you know, I don't do that anymore. We have people that do that. And I remember probably about three or four months ago, Mark came to me, Mark Russo. How many of you had iced coffee today? That all came from Mark Russo. He came up and he came because, you know, we need, we need iced coffee. And I said, no, no, no we don't. <laughs> we don't need iced coffee. We have regular coffee. He said, no, no, no. He goes, I can figure this out. Do you trust me to figure this out? Because I think we need it. I said, well, okay, if you think we need it, let's go for it. So he came up and he put that out there. And I remember the first day we had iced coffee out there. They were doing like conga lines. Dun, 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 Some of you were leading the conga lines. So when you get out of here, when you see Mark Russo, high five him and say, thank you for the iced coffee. It's all his heart. All came from that stuff. What did he see? A need, and he met the need. Execution. That's part of the apostolic gift. We execute things. We get things done. Philippians 2.1 says this. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship? 
together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate that make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose? Look at verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. When's the last time you took an interest in somebody else? For no gain for you. When's the last time you took an interest in somebody else? You sat down with them. You said, tell me everything. With your heart completely invested. That's what I'm talking about. If our church could figure that out, how many of you know that all of us need somebody to look us in the eyes and say, man, I'm with you to the end? Right? So that apostolic gift, it establishes, it helps to execute God's plan. And the last thing that it does, it just expands. It does. Everybody that I've ever met that has this gift, they're part of things that expand. It's just one of the fruits of that gift. Now, remember, when we look at this gift, we're not talking like titles. We're talking about function. People function with this apostolic gift. That means this. If you call yourself apostolic and what you lead's not growing or things like that aren't expanding in your life, you're probably not apostolic. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes we want to be things that we're not, right? I remember a few years ago, you know, I was a worship arts pastor for like 10 years. I just one guy come into my office one day. He goes, Pastor, God spoke to me on Sunday. And I go, that's great. He said, God told me I'm supposed to be like you. I was like, a good-looking, chunky Greek guy? Because we already got that demographic covered. You know what I'm talking about? He's like, no, 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 because I'm supposed to be a worship leader like you. I said, great. I said, do you sing? He goes, nope. You play any instrument? He goes, can't play anything. I said, but you said God told you to do what I do on a Sunday morning. Yes. I said, unless God is supernaturally going to hit you in the head with something to give you the ability to do this, you can't pull that out. And you know what he did? He looked at me. And he started to cry. And he called me a dream killer. I was like, but you can't do this. I'm, a, I'm saving your life, and I'm saving the life of all the people that have to listen to you out in the congregation. Do you know what we found out? God gave him a desire to be connected to the worship arts, but he just didn't know what that looked like. So we got him into tech. He loved tech, and he was one of our best tech guys ever. He was incredible. Just because you want to be something doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you're supposed to be. You find the gift. So those apostolic people, you can tell people are apostolic because everything that they touch, it just starts to grow. Again, it's a function. It's not a title. It doesn't make you better or anything. It just, it's, just, it's a function. They can't help but to see things grow. And usually they can't tell you why things are growing. They just know what to do and how to do it. Um, so as Robin and I were growing in, in, in ministry, it was evident that wherever we would go, we start to see these patterns of growth. So anytime you have that, people are like, well, you know, I need the, the top three reasons why you're growing. And I'm like, ah, maybe being Greek's one of them. I don't know. I, uh, I just see things. How do you see? What do you see? I, I don't, it's part of the gift. It's what's inside of you. You know, if you're created to, to run and you love to run, and when you run, you feel God's pleasure, God bless you. I don't understand that at all. <laughs> but if that's what you need, God bless you as you run as far away from me as possible, <laughs> right? So as we started to experience those patterns of growth in our lives, it was weird. Um, I found myself, you know, seeing vision and realizing that what I see to connect people to that vision, there's a piece of this that I'm missing. 
I could tell you what it looks like. And I'm already five years down the road. But getting people five years to go with me was, was a little bit of a struggle. And that's when I first came to the understanding of how all of this thing works together. I needed teachers and pastors and, and, and those that were prophetic and those who were evangelists. We all had to work together. I was not the piece. I was one of the pieces. I was like a point guard on a basketball team. I'd call a play. That doesn't mean I'm going to score all the points. It doesn't mean I'm going to get all the rebounds. It just means I happen to be that piece. Does that make sense? So when you couple all that stuff together, I started to realize that, um, you know, as, as being apostolic, I'm not built necessarily for all those things. You know, sit with what you're built to do, and then the other stuff, bring the pieces that you need instead of being frustrated with all the other stuff. And I learned this about myself, too. Being apostolic, you, if you want me to die, put me in a place to maintain things just to stay stagnant. I can't stay stagnant. Now, there's other people that can, but that, that's, you know, Rob and I, we were, uh, we were invited to be teaching pastors uh, at, a, at, a, at a church uh, on Oahu in Hawaii. Who would not want to go, everyone wants to go to Hawaii, I just need a job, right? Job, check. This was the gig, it was uh, with, with New Hope, I don't know if you guys, you, you ever been, to, you ever heard of New Hope, Wayne Cordero? He had a little plant on Oahu of uh, 3,000 people, and they needed a teaching pastor. And they contacted us, went through all the stuff and all the things. It was great. I'm getting ready to go be a teaching pastor. And there's something in my gut that's like, I love teaching. Don't get me wrong, but God created me to build. It's already built. Now, don't get me wrong. I could figure out how to you know, do the island stuff. <laughs> I, I could figure that out. But I could tell in my, car, in, in my, in my core, it was like, no, Lord, that's, that's not for us. So we build. We expand. That's what we do. We expand. This is... This is how the apostolic gift operated in the early church, and this is what happened. So this, this is in Acts 2.42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. No, it doesn't just say just the Lord's Supper. It means we need to eat more. And to pray, verse 43, and a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money uh, with those in need. Verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's the apostolic gift in operation. Acts 5 says this, the apostles were performing many miracles and signs and wonders among the people. All the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But when no one else dared join them, even though all the people had high regard for them, yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. Verse 15 says this, the result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across them uh, as they went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Can you imagine if this happened like Tuesday? What would we say about a church like this? Would all the church go, yippee? Or would we say, Lord, what is going on? This is nuts. This is, this is Acts 5. It's just the way it is. Expansion, growth, that's what the apostolic gift does. It establishes God's heart for the kingdom now. It helps to execute the plan of the Great Commission. And then it brings expansion. It brings growth. And I believe this, every house that understands this apostolic gift 
as part of the five, is it balanced. I believe the house will continue to grow. Now, know this. That also means this. In that house, the apostolic gifts can function, and the main leader of the house doesn't have to be apostolic. I served in a house for 10 years where I was not the lead guy, but I brought the apostolic gift there, and our house exploded just because the pastor that I served with understood and he celebrated every gift that we had on our team. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean you've got to be in charge. It just means that the gift has to be in operation. Now, with any gift, there's strengths and there's weaknesses. Here's some weaknesses of the apostolic gift. By the way, before we go into the weaknesses, as I'm talking about this, does anybody here in this house feel like you may have this gift? If that's you, raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Put your hand up. Keep it up there. Some of you went like, oh, no. Look around. Now, the way this works is you put your hand down now. The way this works is this. About a fifth of you should probably possess this gift. There's five, and you kind of cookie-cutter it up. You'll see as we get rolling. It's a very unique gift. So these are some of the weaknesses of the gift. So I'm going to ask this. If you're married to somebody that has this gift, do not elbow them in the ribs. Don't say, aha, or don't go, oh, that's why they do that. Don't say that. First is this. Sometimes those that have this gift can be impatient because they see it. Let's just go get it. Sometimes they can favor accomplishment over people. They're on mission. They're on task. Who, care about, who, who are the ones that care about the people mostly? We should all care about people, but who are the ones that care about the people? The pastors. They gather. Sometimes these people are great starters, but not great finishers, and sometimes they really struggle to maintain things unless they have continued expansion. Sometimes they get bored easily. Know anybody that's something here like, amen, brother, right? Sometimes they can build their own kingdoms because there's so much in the building. They can become very self-focused. This is why it's important, regardless of whatever gift you have, you have people in your life to keep you straight. People in your life that, 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 that love you so much, they'll speak the truth to you. And you know what our, our job is? To listen to them so that we don't go astray. The church was created to be in balance. Jesus is the center. The gifts are on the outside. There will always be tension. But again, we're supposed to be in balance. God has blessed us tremendously as a church over the last three and a half years. One of the reasons I believe he's done that is because we've done our best to keep the church in balance. We have our times where we are very pastoral, we come in. We have our times where we're very prophetic. We have our times where we're very evangelistically compelled. You know, we have our fall festival coming up, and we'll see three to 4,000 people here, all that need to experience God's love, power, and presence. All that happens. So do me a favor. Uh, don't forget, I believe you guys have gone to the five-fold ministry gift test. They had some issues, but I believe they worked out their issues. Uh, so now their stuff's okay. They had to, I don't know, Dawson can explain to you. The deep world of computers. <laughs> I don't understand it. So if you don't know what you are, get on the five-fold ministry gift test. Take a look at it. Send it to us. But do me a favor. Send it to us. Don't just forward it to us if we don't know who you are. We've got a bunch of gift tests that we have no idea who you are. So put, hey, this is me, you know, Joe Blow from Idaho, and then say this is, because what we'll do then is we'll start to, when we have projects and stuff like that, we'll know where some of the gifts are. Now, these are just the big five. We're going to talk about also the spiritual gifts, which are the manifestation gifts, and we're going to talk about the ministry gifts too. Well, these are the ministry gifts, and then we'll talk about the motivational gifts, which is like if you have the gift of hospitality, if you've got the gift of leadership, whatever these things are, the goal is to figure out your gifts and to pair you where you belong because the church is a people, not a place. You are the church. Every living stone. All of us have a piece. So one 
I just feel like I want to end this way today. Just bow your heads for a second. Now, this could be for anybody. But for those of you that have, you know, maybe you've had this gift and you've had to shut it down because this is a tough gift to carry sometimes. And maybe people spoke things over you and, and part of the dream inside of your heart died. I just want you right now just to just kind of lay your heart before the Lord and ask Him, say, Lord, would you not just illuminate to me what my gift is, but Father, if my gift has been beaten and broken, would you speak to it? And Father, would you bring it back to life? So just take a minute and just have a conversation with God. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.